Today is the Memorial Day. What does the Memorial Day remind us? We're in the cafe's thought on the day. Top Gun 2 premieres in Memorial Day weekend with no money from China. A story of a U.S. Air Force veteran turned farmer running for congressional office in Arizona. That's our feature story. Welcome to Wei and Kathy Show. I'm your host Wei Fang. I'm Kathy Zhang. Happy Memorial Day! It's a three-day break, right? Hope、yes. you have a good time. Yeah. So、uh, hope you are enjoying the, you know, the last few hours of the Memorial Day. Yeah, I was saying that I want to share with you, like, like you know, with my thought on this day.、Uh, basically,、um, I want to tell you that、uh, what I share with my Chinese audience, because I did two programs today with my Chinese cha- on my Chinese channel, and one of them is just exactly on Memorial Day. So I told them the story behind the Memorial Day. I talked to them about,、um, you know, when it was started. You、mm-hmm. know, originally it's called a Decoration Day, right? And、uh, right during the Civil War, which claimed the, you know, six hundred sixty thousand U.S. soldiers from the, no-、uh, you know, from the north and in, in the south. Okay, which is a、uh, plus the civilian casualty. We're talking about three percent of the population perished during the Civil War.、Yeah. So during the very Civil War, there's.、Um, Organizations like、uh, Ladies Memorial Association and the, like the Grand Army of the Republic, one from the south, one from the north, and then they've been you know, decorating the you know the tombs of the the fallens、um, during those years and after those years, and then in the 1968 is the first time that a proclamation was issued by 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 the General Joe Logan, by Ge-、uh, General John Logan.、Um, Who's from the Grand Army of a Republic, a nonprofit organizations, and then since then, you know, the country they really, you know pick up the their this service, and then now it's become a national holiday, right? So I share with my Chinese audience that、uh, how Americans appreciate the service of their military, you know, military servicemen and servicewomen, because among all the freedoms that they can choose, they can be a How to say? They can be a businessman. They can be an entrepreneur. They can be a waiter. They can be a technician. They can be a carpenter. But they choose to, you know, put on the uniform and become a soldier, and then at the line of fire, that they could give their life for, you know, on their job. And this is why Americans always appreciate、um, uh, our our soldiers, our servicemen and servicewomen. So in this country, we got the Memorial Day to commemorate the fallen, right? And we also have this、uh, Veteran Day to commemorate, to 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 honor our, you know, basically、um, veterans, you know, veterans, yeah,、um, former military、um, personnel. And we also have this,、uh, you know, Kathy, you know,、mm-hmm. it's it's called a Arm Arm the Force Day, right? And which, yeah, which com- date is that?、Uh, which has this is the third Saturday in May. It's actually is a few days ago. And that day was、um, set up、uh, a, on the federal level to consolidate the Army's day, Navy's day, and Air Force day, and so on and so forth. Right. But that didn't happen. They still honor, you know, Army's day, Navy's day, Air Force day, Coast Guard's day, and the、uh, Marines day. Mm, wow. So we we do got enough holiday to honor or commemorate our our soldiers, right, or our former soldiers or our fallen soldiers. And because we really, you know, they protect our freedom, so I share that with our, you know, my Chinese audience, and it's very well received, and、uh, they appreciate the story, appreciate the, the the value behind it, 
And um, yeah, so I told them that you know Memorial Day to most Chinese Americans is barbecue, party, parade, tour, and、uh, that's about it. It's the starting of the summer summertime. I say no. There's there's really you know a lot of heavy meanings,、um, significance behind this every basically federal holiday, including and especially the Memorial Day. And as a matter of fact, I was at Arlington Cemetery last fall. Okay, that that was my first time. I saw the places where four hundred thousand American military men and women rest, and、uh, forever there. And、um, so that's what that was the first time I I saw that. I don't know our our、um, you know our, our DJ whether they can you know, play some photo or the video that when I was there. Is indeed I I I checked through the museum or the story and learned a lot of things. Yeah, this is where it, it just you know a very peaceful and also very grand view,、um, and just representing the sacrifice that people give for the for the, this United States of America. And、um, yeah, so I hope you also carry your thought for our fallen soldiers. I'm sure you, you did,、um, and、uh, on this special day, Kathy, anything to add? Any thought? On、uh, this Memorial Day,、mm -hmm. yeah. So、uh, I think、um, you know the uh, our um, service, uh, the American people sacrifice their wealth and、uh, their lives, and、uh, you know to for us can be have the opportunity to live in this very unique country. Yeah. So this is really the day we wanted to tribute our appreciation. Uh, to the men and women sacrifice their lives、mm -hmm. to give us the freedom,、yeah. and I think this in this nowadays we even, you know, especially appreciate the freedom and the liberty that we can get, and、uh, what we can do to really、um, to to protect such kind of rights. Yeah. So I think it's especially special、mm -hmm. uh, at this day. Yeah, I I told in my Chinese program I told this story, which I want to tell you again. You know, I came to this country with two hundred fifty-two dollars, two hundred fifty-two dollars. I came to graduate school at the University of Connecticut. I got no scholarship, and、uh, so that was I was I was heading into a big unknown. But I was so hopeful, okay, and、uh, I was so upbeat when I entered the port, entered the you know port of the the custom of this country in San Francisco. And、uh, did America disappoint me? Nope, it does not. And America, you know, America had me worried, you know, for her, but it never disappointed me. Okay, so this is、uh, this is my my experience. And、uh, I have a Chinese audience,、uh, and her name is it's her or he, I don't know, Cash. I just want to read it to here. He said, "My daughter, my daughter graduated from the military、uh, Air Force Academy、uh, last month with the outstanding、um, achieve accomplishment." And、uh, when, whenever she often ran into strangers who who would say to her, "Thank you for your service," and she would reply them, "Thank you for your support." So yeah, that's a Chinese mother. I think、uh, mm -hmm. you know her her sharing on my、uh, on, on my YouTube channel. As you know, that our YouTube channel is is banned for two weeks. That's why we cannot be there.、Um, but you know, that's the thought we have that I want to share with you. So what do you think? Share your thought here with the you know safe chat. And type up there,、uh, and Kathy can take a look, and we can、mm -hmm. share your comment with all the audience. All right, <clears throat> so so let's move on. Okay, how about that? Well, let's move on to the next、uh, topic, which is actually a movie. Okay, especially I want to recommend this movie to you. I I usually I don't do that. 
Okay, I don't, <laughs> I don't recommend the movie. The movie I haven't seen it myself, but I still want to recommend it to you. Okay, let's go for the news story first. All right. So the Chinese tech firm Tencent, you know Tencent, the company who created uh, WeChat, and uh, so uh, two years, three years ago in 2019, they signed up on um, a deal to co-sponsor the movie Top Gun 2, which is premiering this weekend. Mm-hmm. All right. So the movie took uh, 170 million dollars in production, and Tencent bought into one eighth, one eighth of the ownership of that movie. So, and the Tencent and the producer of the movie was hoping to rake in around $80 million from China, mm. from the market of China. Mm-hmm. All right, it's a big market, 1.4 billion, billion people. But Tencent backed out of the deal, fearing that the Communist Party official in Beijing would be angry about the company's affiliation with the movie celebrating the American military. Mm. All right, so just a little bit background. You know, company like uh, Alibaba, like Tencent, they were run by, how to say, private uh, how to say, entrepreneurs, like Ma Yun, right, Jack Ma, mm-hmm. and also by this um, Tencent's bosses, with, um, actually, I don't know his English name. But anyway, so um, Chinese Communist Party really have a crackdown on, on them in the past two years, and they're cutting their stock price in half, and really just... Um, um, apply very tight policy upon them and, uh, and have them submit the data, send the Communist Party official onto their board, and then just, just tremendously demotivated their drive to, 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 to grow the company. And then now it's not that the Chinese Communist Party has a ban, has voiced out, it's the Tencent's fear mm-hmm. for they could be doing this. So they'd rather not make money. So think about it, top 10 too. Top, ten, top Gun 2 is an easy-to-succeed um, film, a common standard, mm-hmm. because the 1984, the first episode, was so successful, right? And Tencent was afraid of even making this money because it's going to anger the Beijing and the CCP would come on them strong. So that is the first part of the, you know, the, the story. And then, okay, and basically the association with the pro-American story grew radioactive as the relation between the U.S. and China devolved. In less than three years, Chinese executives has gone from rushing towards financing opportunity in Hollywood to steering clear. At the same time, the other Western businesses have shifted their perception of China from an attractive growth market of 1.4 billion consumers to a thicket of uncertainty. Just one particular example, okay. In the 1984 film, and, uh, you know, the, the, the main actor, okay, Tom Cruise, was wearing a military jacket, okay. The jacket was decorated with a large patch on his back that included Japanese and a Taiwanese flag. So, um, yeah, Tony, if you can, just put on that, uh, the, the photo of that jacket so that we can see there are four national flags, the bottom two, one is Taiwan, and uh, one is Japan, another one is Taiwan, okay. And then, okay, so when the, when the Top Gun Maverick, the Top Gun 2 trailer premiered in 2019, the eagle-eyed, just look at that, on the, on the left photo, that was in the 1984, okay? On that, uh, you know, on, on that, um, on the back, the left one, the to- lower left one is the Japanese, uh, Japanese uh, national flag. On the lower right is the Republic of China or Taiwan's flag. So, okay, in the, 1920, uh, in the 2019, the 
top, top Gun 2, and people noticed that uh, in, the, in the premiere, okay, the trailer, in the trailer. You notice that, right? The Japanese, the round sun become a triangle thing, and then the Taiwan flag becomes something you just don't, do not recognize, okay? That's what happened. All right. The reason is a, a, a Tencent representative said that, uh, you know, if you retain the Taiwan and the Japanese flag there, okay, it would anger Beijing. It would anger Beijing again. All right. So as a result, the film producer replaced that, you know, replaced it and making the, the, the way that he just saw. However, the change angered, okay, the, the, the flag swap generated a considerable attention. Okay. Critics calling the edit a... Um, capitulation to Chinese interest on the movie that celebrates American patriotism. So in the final edit of the film, uh, Tom Cruise's character can be seen still donning the bomber jacket, and the original flag is still there, intact, but on the screen it was just flashed through for the brief, briefest of seconds. Nobody can even see it. Okay, so that was just one matter. Okay, anyway. Long story, let's come back to the high level now. So Top Gun 2 or the Top Gun Maverick um, now no longer have Tencent's fund. It's completely, but, but it, can, it has not been approved for release in China either. And it may never be approved. So basically Top Gun 2 lost Chinese market. So they're hoping to make the money back in the US market and elsewhere. And then there's this uh, gentleman from the Think Tank 2014 plan, okay? And his name is Ian Easton. He tweeted today, he said, after a brush with anti-American censorship, Top Gun 2 shed its ties to Chinese government and one is so back. All right? And Greg Audrey is the vice president for space development of the National Space Society. And uh, Professor Audrey, I interviewed him and, uh, for one hour and I still remember him very well. And then... I even recommend, wrote him a recommendation when he was applying for a NASA job, mm -hmm. you know, the CFO of NASA job um, of the Trump administration. And uh, so uh, Professor Audrey wrote that, good, communists don't allow U.S. investment in China's media. Get them out of ours. Okay? And then the Fox News, uh, and also this matter came, comes after Sony, okay, the so. The Sony also rejected China's demand to remove the Statue of Liberty from Sony's movie Spider-Man, No Way Home. Chinese government cannot even tolerate, for, you know, even cannot tolerate its people seeing the Statue of the Liberty. All right? Luckily, fortunately, Tony say no. Okay? We don't go to China. Anyway, so the Fox reporter Joseph uh, Wolf's off zone, he tweeted today. He said, It's encouraging to finally see Hollywood not kowtowing to China that sacrifices American value for foreign profit. Let's hope this continues. All right, so the, the film is initially scheduled to premiere in 2019, I mean, the Top Gun 2, but it was delayed when it needs to take more production work. Then it came to the pandemic, it shut down theaters worldwide, and the movie was postponed three times in the year before and the last year, and finally, it's come to this month and this weekend. Okay, so you see the story. Why don't we see this, go see the movie? 
<laughs> right. So you know, people talk about how Hollywood has been like really in a honeymoon and the romance with the Chinese communist, you know, the China under communist rule. And actually, last year, just exactly last year in May, the Hollywood Reporter had this long piece of article with the title saying from. Deal frenzy to decoupling is the China Hollywood romance officially over? So this article really, you know, examined like five years after an unprecedented era of frenzied East-West deal making, cash flow has stopped. You know, between the China and Hollywood, it also saying Donald Trump's trade war lingers. Censorship is on the rise, and the human rights abuse in the Middle Kingdom, China, have upended business prospects for the U.S. film industry. And the Hollywood people are saying it is hard to know what's going to happen, and exactly you know what happened with the Tencent as a withdrawal of the financing Top Gun Two. It's one of another example, so yeah. And let's see how you know Hollywood's spine can be more strong. Him can be stronger, right? We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, this is a good development. Okay, and because the you know as as the course the course of two nation is running now. It was like alongside actually, and the CCP just grow basically just pitch back on America. Now no longer so they they become. They become like that. I think this is only good for you know for America and for the people of both countries. Yeah, I interviewed Miles Yu, the China policy the the main person for a former state Secretary of State, right, Mike Pompeo, and Miles Yu last week when I interviewed him, he said, you know, the Chinese Communist government just creating a lot of problems. By themselves, mm -hmm. and uh, that's I think this is one of another problem they created, right? So, Self-defeating, mm -hmm. right? So now uh, we suggesting to watch this movie. So what do you think? And uh, so you, let us know. Yeah, would you watch the movie? Can you just leave your comment there? I just want to do a little online survey. Okay, um, yeah, if you can, and that will really be helpful. And for us, okay. Would you would you yeah just type it one sentence? Would you would you like to see the movie or not? Right. We right now we we just have Rebecca's comment remembering the men and women who sacrificed their life for the country. May God continue to bless America, the home of the free. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. So yeah, please let us know your thoughts on this Memorial Day weekend on the Top Gun two the movie. You know, and it will be great. So now, shall we move to the yeah, feature story? Yeah, let's move on to the feature story. Okay. So right now, it's the you know midterm primary election going on, and you know there's no way to cover everything. But on this Memorial Day weekend, I thought of a candidate that I met in CPAC back in February. He's a 20-year U.S. Air Force veteran and a retired retired 
Lieutenant Colonel, currently running for congressional office in Arizona. And Arizona, you know, obviously is a very important battleground mm -hmm. state. And uh, the uh, congressional district is sixth. Sixth Congressional District in Arizona. It covers the northeast quadrant of the state, which is the suburb of Phoenix. Mm -hmm. It encompasses parts of the Maricopa County, which is, if you remember, in 2020, a presidential election, the election integrity issue actually was fir first exposed over there with regards to the voting machine, remember? So right now, the incumbent is a Republican um, representative, David Swickert, but uh, he is redistricted to District 1. So now District 6, the seat is open. There are three Democratic candidates. And uh, rec um, for Republicans, there are five candidates. So total eight candidates, but the primary, you know, is between just uh, uh, within the, the party. So Lieutenant Colonel Young Mabry is one of the five GOP candidates hoping to keep the office for the Republicans. And um, so just a very brief introduction of uh, Lieutenant Colonel Mabry. He served 20 year, 28 years in the US Air Force. He's also a skilled educator who's, uh, he was the assistant professor of Spanish at the Air Force Academy. And he negotiated agreements between Latin, Latin America countries and the US and the Canada on behalf of the Air Force. He's also a high school sports coach and agricultural science teacher. And uh, Lieutenant Colonel Mabry is also a farmer. He farmed for 24 years. So without further ado, here's my interview with Lieutenant Colonel Young Mabry. Welcome, Young, to our show. Thank you, Kathy. Good to be here. You're a veteran, served in the U.S. Air Force. So please tell us uh, why you decided to run for office. You bet. Yes, I served 28 years in the United States Air Force. And during that period of time, I stood in the gap against socialism and communism. I started my career as a Minuteman missile launch officer. Of course, the Soviet Union was uh, was viable in those days. And so I was targeted. We were targeted, of course, against the Soviet Union. So I my career has been focused towards combating um, communism. And of late, I've seen in our country um, Marxist behavior is taking place in our country and it's disruptive and I can no longer I realize I can't sit back and watch on the sidelines as those kinds of behaviors take place while top US officials openly embrace these destructive Marxist ideologies you know examples for yeah, our, would be um, Black Lives Matter you know BLM wonderful slogan wonderful concept you know black lives in fact do matter but when I saw the, the burning and the rioting and the disruption and all those kinds of things, something I could see was not right here. You know, that's not what anybody's lives matter have to do with anything. And then I heard uh, an interview by Patrice Cullors, who's one of the founders of Black Lives Matters. 
And you know what she said? She said that she is, she and her people are Marxist trained. And ah, my clue light went off and I realized that's what's going on because Marxist behaviors are to cause disruption in society and try to tear down society. So that's an example. Antifa is another. Um, the disruption that they're trying to, that they are bringing into our society, you know, lack of law, uh, throw, you know, burning things up and those types of things. That is what I've seen. And, and why do I know that? Because I taught counterinsurgency courses at a commanded general staff course in Fort Benning, Georgia. I've also been in Latin American countries where I taught uh, these types of things in country to the to the countries that were experiencing problems with uh, communist insurgencies. And so then when I saw those kinds of things take place in our own country, I realized that the communist socialist agenda was not any longer at the gate or at a nearby country, but it was in our house. They're in our living room, you know, burning things up and that type of stuff. That's 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 my motivation to get in and, and to run for Congress to bring, uh, my, my slogan, by the way, is awaken core American values. We need to awaken core American values and socialism and communism are not part of any American core American values. So a lot of uh, Americans probably did not have the chance to see what you see, as you mentioned, you combated uh, socialism, communism. So can you give us a little bit more example of what you see, just like you told me before? Well, um, there are certain family members who have, who think that socialism is a good idea. They embrace uh, Bernie Sanders as the, the savior, if you will, of the United States as far as the, the ideology that he, that he puts out. And, and I'm, I'm appalled that here in the United States and amongst family members, that people are obviously not well educated enough to understand the evils of socialism. It's been promoted to me that, oh, Bernie Sanders, he's, he's not a socialist, he's, he's a democratic socialist. Socialist is socialist, you know what I'm saying? And you can't soften socialism by putting democratic in front of it, right? So that's another kind of close to home example of what I'm seeing here in our own country where people are, are, are unaware of the of the ultimate evil that socialism brings into society. So when you talk to your family members who, you know, kind of explain to you that democratic socialism, how do you uh, use uh, your experience to trying to explain to them the evilness of the socialism and communism? Well, one of experience I had when, uh, when I lived in Peru, um, in those days, uh, socialism was quite prevalent. There was a dictatorial president, his name was uh, Velasco, and uh, the idea that the people understood of socialism is that everybody will be equal. That's what everybody said, everybody's gonna be equal. And you know what, I found out that's true. Everybody is equal, equally poor. You know what I mean? And, and so that's not the equal that we want. We wanna have equal opportunity. That's what America provides equal opportunity and then as people um, take advantage of the opportunities that they have before them they can progress from poverty to rich not necessarily overnight 
but they have the opportunity. They're not oppressed because that's another element of, uh, of socialism and, and Marxism and communism is that people are placed in classes and people are, don't have the opportunity to move from a class or a lower uh, income level because they're perceived as that's their class. They can't move up into the economic, uh, up on the economic spectrum. Again, socialism promotes uh, egalitarian equality, and indeed they do, but it's equal poor, equal poverty, except of course for the elites up here who uh, are a little bit more equal than the rest of the population. So you saw that in Peru, in the hub out of Venezuela, it used to be, you know, like the oil-rich company, so rich, right? And you mentioned that you actually lived there for a while. Right. Yes, I, I, I'm, uh, as I mentioned, I'm an Air Force veteran, served 28 years in the Air Force, and in two occasions, I had the opportunity to be assigned to Venezuela. The first occasion was in 1996. In that time frame, um, the socialist agenda had not really begun in Venezuela. In Venezuela, I would consider, of all my experiences in Latin America, was one that was a jewel of, uh, of economic prosperity, um, freedom. It was a beautiful country. But then I went back, I had another assignment to Venezuela um, in, uh, in 2003. And at that time, Hugo Chavez had uh, become the president advancing his, his socialist agenda. They became very um, aligned with Cuba. In fact, they had a lot of, I, I saw this, there were Air Force officers who had gone and trained in Cuba and they would come back and they were almost like little spies on the upper level officers who really, really wanted to be close with the United States. We've had in, in the Air Force with Venezuela, we've had like a 50 year, um, close relationship with Venezuela. They even had F-16s in, in the Air Force way before any other country in South America did. But when I went back again in 2003, the socialist, and I can even call it communist because people were coming from, uh, from, uh, from Cuba and, and being advisors, if you will, to the Venezuelan Air Force. And I could see that Venezuela was starting their economic decline. They were drawing, they were withdrawing themselves from their association with us, the United States, because again, they didn't want to, they didn't want to, again, adopt our, our thinking and that type of thing. So I saw that decline. And then when I retired in 2007, I returned home to St. David, Arizona. And just across the street from me, there's a Venezuelan woman and, and, and she went around selling empanadas and other kinds of empanadas like a, is like a, um, oh, it's a type of food that Venezuelans have that they would, that she would sell. And, and she was selling those things so that she could send money down to her friends and family in Venezuela so they could buy simple things if it was even available, like toilet paper and aspirins and basic commodities. They were just so, again, Venezuela. They used to be the jewel, were so down uh, economically that they were unable to, to, to even have those kinds of basic commodities. Sad, very, very sad. 
So um, as uh, Lieutenant Mabry said, uh, his uh, campaign slogan is Awaken, Awaken Core American Values to Save America. So what are those values from his perspective? Yes, indeed, my slogan is Awaken Core American Values. So what are some of those core American values, right? Uh, I just look to our founding documents. For example, the, the, um, the Declaration of Independence identifies as unalienable rights, the right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And life not only is just regular living, you know, we don't get thrown in jail and get our heads chopped off or whatever because we're politically different from the rest of society. That's one thing. But also, I believe in the life of the unborn, that it is, you know, a core American value is not to kill our babies before they're born, all right? Um, another aspect of a core American value, and, and this goes directly against the notion of socialism and communism. <coughs> which I reject outright. That is, we have the right to personal property ownership. Personal property ownership is the foundation of the freedom in the United States. Why is that? If you own your own property, the government or whatever, anybody could do whatever they might try to do to you, <laughs> but you have your own property to be able to, in my case, I'm a, I'm a farmer. So if I, and I do, I have my own property, if things uh, fell apart, or if somebody tried to impose certain impositions upon me in the government, I can produce my own food, okay? If I have just a house or whatever, I can live within my own house without, um, without the government, again, the government can't take it from me. So basically you can protect your very basic living. Absolutely. By, so that's the, that's the, foundational core of American freedom. I remember this from the, the late, great Rush Limbaugh. He was, you know, as he, he did his talk show and we were listening to that in, in, my, in my Air Force office one time. And he was pointing out that the foundation of American freedom is the ability to own personal property. Then from that, again, we've got issues with secure borders. If you're going to own your own property, we need to have our borders secure. Now, I live, of course, a mile, or, uh, an hour and 15 minutes away from the Mexico-American border. So we see illegal aliens coming up, and we see the effect of illegal immigration taking place in our very backyard, if you will, front yard. It's not the backyard anymore, it's the front yard. So you got to have secure borders so that you can be safe in, your, in, in the property that you own. Additionally to that, I, I promote that we need to have a strong national defense. We need to be able to keep all, keep people off. I mean, we see right now, <laughs> Ukraine is being invaded by a bigger country, uh, Russia. If, they, if, you, if you have a strong national defense, you're able to protect your personal property by not allowing outside uh, enemies to come, all right? Another core value is limited government. And basically that's captured in the Tenth Amendment, uh, the, the Tenth of our Tenth uh, Bill, of, the Tenth Amendment, which is a, of our Bill of Rights, which is to say that the federal government does not have. Basically, the Tenth Amendment is saying that the federal government only has the power that the constitutional spe Constitution specifically allows them to have, or that the states provide them. Nothing else. 
too much overreach with federal government today, for example. We have, uh, you know, Biden's administration, There, there's a huge overreach. You know, vaccine mandates, uh, the lockdowns, uh, masks and all that kind of thing. You can't fly, you can't travel if, uh, if you don't obey Big Brother. Now, when I say Big Brother, I think everybody recognizes my reference to George Orwell's uh, 1984. You know, I'm seeing, I've, I read that in college uh, back in 1970 something, and I never thought, never dreamed that that type of, of society would be prevalent in the United States. But I'm seeing a lot of the behaviors that George Orwell brings out in 1984 that are happening right here in our, in, in our United States. Double speak, they say one thing and it means something else right? Or the thought control, the media, how the media controls the way people think. Control of the media is a key uh, hallmark of socialism. They control the minds of the people that you can or can't do certain things. And then the people are locked down in their minds and are unable to, to operate in freedom. If anybody Again, 1984, if a person hasn't read 1984, they need to read 1984 and see what's going on in our country. Because 1984 is a, is a great example of how socialist authoritarianism can come into a society and, and just tear the society apart. I also strongly support the idea of the right of the people to keep and bear arms uninfringed. So those are some of the core American values that I stand for. And I can't uh, leave that topic without saying that I believe and firmly support the idea of faith, family, and freedom. So from a U.S. veteran to a farmer, then now you're running for the Congress, really because you're concerned about where the country is going. Absolutely. I kind of, I'm no George Washington, but I kind of, um, I think of George Washington as the example. I mean, think of George Washington. He was a general of the Continental Army that defeated the British. He could have been king, but no, where did he go? He went home to his farm, right? And they pulled him back into public service to help establish the Constitution. And then he served two terms as president. Then he went back to his farm. I feel like I've kind of followed that model. I served 28 years served my country for 28 years in the Air Force. And I went home to my farm. To, and there was, I've never had any intent whatsoever to run for political office. But with the experiences that I have at the national and international level, I simply could not sit back and not do anything while our country is falling apart at the seams. The thing that pushed me over the edge was when, um, when the Biden administration left American citizens and our allies behind the lines in Afghanistan. That is unconscionable. And why is that? I was stationed in Turkey on 9-11-2001, uh, uh, right? And of course, I was supposed to leave Turkey on the 16th of September. Well, we'll remember that when 9-11 happened, flights worldwide were shut down. Nothing was flying. So come the 16th of September, I was unable to leave Turkey, but never did it ever cross my mind that I would not leave Turkey. Never even crossed my mind. I didn't even realize it until 
just a month ago that that's the way I felt. Never crossed my mind that I would not be able to leave Turkey, that my country would not take me home. And then when I saw American citizens and allies that had helped us through all that, that conflict, left behind in the, in, the, in the hands of the nasty Taliban and all the things that they do to women and to people in general, it was just, there was no way that I could sit back and not do my part in trying to uh, bring an awareness to American people. And also, of course, as a member of the United States Congress, what is one of the roles that a U.S. House of Representatives have, has, have? It, it is to, is to uh, bring articles of, of impeachment against the president. In my view, leaving Americans behind, enemy lines, not to mention the, the $84 billion of equipment, but it's more the people type thing that is at an issue. And then I could go on to the invasion that we have in the border. Our president, Joe Biden, is derelict in his duty. And in the military, if someone is derelict in their duty, they will be brought upon charges and court-martialed, removed from their position. That is what needs to be done with Joe Biden. And as a member of the House of Representatives, I think that is what could have and should have been done. But because it's all controlled by Democrats and they're all having a love fest or whatever with each other, they, they were unwilling to do anything to even censor that type of behavior and, and to me that is irresponsible for the house of representatives to to not hold the the sitting president re accountable for those uh, dereliction of duties behaviors that, that he demonstrated so young yeah, for people who are interested in your campaign how do they know more about it <laughs> all right i have a, a campaign website it is simply Young Mayberry for U.S. House. That's Young Mayberry, the word for, F-O-R, ushouse.com. So Young Mayberry for ushouse.com. Go there. Uh, you will be able to see a lot of what I've talked about. You can see my credentials as far as my service in the military and my service in, in, in serving others, even outside of the military. Um, you'll see my stance on border security. We haven't had a lot of time to talk about that today, but uh, you'll see all those types of things. Great. Thank you, Jan, for sharing with us. My pleasure. Yeah. Good Thank luck. you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. So actually, less than two weeks ago, on May 16th and 18th, PBS Arizona held two debates among the GOP candidates and the Democratic candidates for this uh, Arizona congressional um, congressional district six, and uh, many topics are discussed, uh, were discussed and debated, including inflation, immigration, and uh, election integrity, etc. So, Lieutenant Colonel Mabry and some other Republican candidates mentioned and discussed the documentary, 2,000 Mules. So if you are interested in the candidates, especially if you are you know, in Arizona, in the district, um, I will post the links of the two debates for you uh, so that uh, you can just watch more and to you know, have a better understanding of those candidates. All right. 
So Arizona primary will be two months away. Okay, it's uh, August second. Uh, will be the primary will be held. So it's uh, still like a sixty three days away. Uh, we'll see how uh, Mr. Mer. Oh, Mayberry. Mayberry. I'm sorry. Yeah, how he would do. And I leave your comment here. In you know after hearing his talk, um, what do you think? You like it? Um, or you have any any you know any opinion? Different opinion. Okay, so I think that will be all for today. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It's a holiday. I, I we really wish that you have a great time, and uh, you know, and thank you for spending time with us uh, for this uh, fifty minutes, and uh, yeah, to learn about our thought about uh, Memorial Day, mm -hmm. and uh, also about the Lieutenant Colonel's work. Yeah, and uh, this year is very special. I think uh, you know we mentioned to you before. Well, in at CPAC, I just noticed that so many veterans are running for office. Yeah. They are very concerned about the country where it's going, and uh, they decided to step out, you know, to do something. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for being with us tonight. Hope you have a great time for the rest of your tonight. And, uh, and um, I'll see you again. And have a fresh start tomorrow. So take care. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Is a ballot cast in an envelope better than cast in person? What happens once a ballot is mailed back or dropped in the drop box? The core of our election system is to have ballots correctly reflect the wishes of the voter. Only then can we ensure consent of the governed. Learn how ballots are counted and why it is critically important to cast your ballot in person at a vote center. Search Happy Goose on Rumble and watch illustrative videos. Your vote is important. Make sure it counts.